Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is March 18th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. The shocking murder of eight people in Georgia highlighting the growing anti-Asian American sentiment here in the U.S., but the suspect says race was not a factor in those attacks. On Capitol Hill, Congress taking up immigration reform as the White House continues to monitor the situation along the southern border. And despite a major vaccine push across the country, more than a dozen states are seeing an increase in coronavirus infections. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with new details on the deadly shootings in Georgia. The suspect in that rampage now facing eight counts of murder. Authorities saying that the gunman confessed to the gruesome murders, most of the victims, Asian women. Investigators say the attacks may have been less about race and more about violence against women, but others remain unconvinced. Andrea Linares has more details. Overnight, thousands turning out at vigils across the country to mourn the loss of life after a gunman opened fire at three separate Atlanta massage parlors, killing eight people, six of them Asian women. Many of my family members are living in fear. I think the rhetoric from our previous administration was definitely the catalyst for all of this. Advocacy group Stop AAPI Hate reports receiving almost 3,800 complaints from mid-March 2020 through February, thanks in part to racist tropes surrounding the coronavirus. Authorities in Georgia this morning say the gunman, a 21-year-old white man, is admitting to the shootings. However, the suspect telling investigators that the shootings weren't about race. Officers say they were able to track him down thanks to his parents who saw these surveillance pictures and told police that this was him. Police were then able to track his cell phone and caught up with him south of Atlanta. Investigators believe he was headed to Florida to make similar attacks. We were contacted by uh, members of the family uh, indicating that that may be their, their uh, son. They're very distraught uh, uh, and um, they were very helpful in, uh, in this apprehension. According to CNN, a former roommate claims the gunman was deeply religious and felt tortured and distraught by his sexual addiction. Another roommate said he had spent time in rehab for sex addiction. Investigators say a 9mm pistol was found in the suspect's vehicle. He had apparently purchased the gun this week. The Biden administration briefed by the FBI on the situation. Whatever the motivation here, I know that Asian Americans are in very, uh, very concern. We stand with you and understand how this has frightened and shocked and outraged. Also causing concerns, this statement from Captain Jay Baker, which many feel appears to sympathize with the shooter, not his alleged victims. I spoke with investigators. They interviewed him this morning, and I, uh, they got that impression that, yes, he, he understood um, the gravity of it. And he was pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope. And, um, and yesterday was a really bad day for him, and this is what he did. The Washington Post reporting that the Georgia sheriff's spokesman appeared to promote on Facebook T-shirts blaming China for the coronavirus. Meanwhile, police have not yet ruled out Georgia's shootings as a hate crime. Either way, the Asian community from coast to coast, in particular women, say it's time that they be heard. Violence is so clear to see, but it is so difficult 
to name because so often Asian women are held as objects and we are expected to hold our shame silently and without apology. The House Judiciary Committee is holding a hearing today on the string of violence plaguing Asian American communities amid the COVID-19 pandemic and President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris will be in Atlanta tomorrow. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And at that House hearing, Democratic Congresswoman Grace Mang of New York called out Republican lawmaker Chip Roy of Texas for his comments criticizing the Chinese Com Communist Party and his handling of the pandemic. Let's listen. I want to go back to something that Mr. Roy said earlier. Your president and your party and your colleagues can talk about issues with any other country that you want, but you don't have to do it by putting a bullseye on the back of Asian Americans across this country, on our grandparents, on our kids. This hearing was to address the hurt and pain of our community and to find solutions, and we will not let you take our voice away from us. Congresswoman Meng has personally been a target of those attacks after the House passed legislation she co-sponsored to condemn anti-Asian hate last year. Her voice mail was bombarded with hate-filled messages echoing former President Trump's language to describe the coronavirus. Meanwhile, San Francisco police are stepping up patrols in Asian neighborhoods following the latest attack on people of Asian background in the city. But a word of warning, some viewers may find the video you're about to see too graphic. The tail end of the incident was caught on camera showing a 75-year-old woman holding a knife back to her head. Police say she assaulted, she was assaulted as the suspect was fleeing an attack on an 83-year-old Asian man Wednesday. The two Asian victims were hospitalized with non-life-threatening threatening injuries. The incident happened after another Asian man was nearly blinded in San Francisco Monday. The anti-hate group has counted more than 500 attacks on Asian Americans nationwide in the past two months. And joining me now is Margaret Huang. She's the president and CEO of the Southern Poverty Law Center, a nonprofit organization tracking extremism in the U.S. Thank you so much for your time, Margaret. Thank you, Carolina, for having me. Margaret, authorities in Georgia have yet to label the shooting in Atlanta as a racially motivated attack. What is your take, your reaction on that? I think regardless of what the perpetrator of these crimes is claiming now in his comments to police, he clearly targeted businesses that were owned by Asians. He killed eight people, including six Asian women. And there's no question that the impact of this crime has had a huge uh, resonance across the country in Asian American communities, particularly for Asian women. For me, this is clearly in the arena of hate crimes. The state of Georgia only adopted its hate crime law last year in the wake of Ahmaud Arbery's killing. I think it's time that the law enforcement agencies of Georgia started training their officers and their leadership to understand how to investigate hate crimes and how to be much more sympathetic to the communities that where the victims are. Now, there's been an increase in violence against Asian Americans in the last year. What has the last year been like for the Asian American community in the U.S.? 
There's no question that the hate crimes against the Asian American community stem from the rhetoric and the narrative of President Trump. He is the one who one year ago started referring to the COVID pandemic as the Chinese flu or the Chinese virus or the Kung flu that has affected so many people. That hateful narrative, that discriminatory narrative has been embraced by so many others, has led to many incidences of discrimination, of mistreatment, and of course now violence against the Asian American community. And members of Congress have to own their responsibility for echoing the president's narrative and for repeating that hateful rhetoric. They have also contributed to this spate of hate crimes against the community. And have the reports on attacks on the Asian community be taken seriously by the authorities? I think the example that you shared in the story about the response of Captain Baker to the incident in Atlanta demonstrate the lack of consideration or appreciation of the impact of this crime on the Asian American community. There's no question that his reference to the perpetrator's bad day clearly outweighed in his mind the considerations of the Asian American community in Georgia, which is reeling from this attack and which is devastated by the loss of our fellow Asian Americans. If law enforcement hopes to collaborate with communities of color like the Asian American community, they have to do a much better job of reaching out to victims, of helping victims see that reporting these types of crimes can help them find some justice. And that is a hard thing to sell today after that comment from Captain Baker. And hey, Margaret, what do you think is the way forward here? Do we be, how, how can we fix this problem? I think today more than ever, what's really important is that communities across the country have to call out this kind of hateful rhetoric, this violence, and stand together against the rhetoric and the narratives that have been issued by some of the political leaders of the country. We need to stand together because violence against the Asian American community today is violence against other communities tomorrow. We've seen a rise in anti-Semitic hate. We've seen a rise in more killings, police killings of our black brothers and sisters. If we don't stand together, we are never going to be able to overcome the discrimination and hate that is directed against all communities of color. Well, thank you so much for your time. Margaret Huang, President and CEO of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Thank you, Carolina. And meanwhile, the biggest danger to the U.S. apparently is within, is coming from within. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence released a summary of a report that says domestic violent extremism is a major point of concern for the country. Here's what Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas had to say on the matter. While we remain vigilant about the threat of foreign terrorism, ideologically motivated domestic violent extremism now poses the most lethal and persistent terrorism-related threat to the homeland today. And according to a Senate aide who's familiar with the unclassified data, it shows the challenges of dealing with lone wolf extremists who take extreme ideologies and move forward with violence. 
And now turning to immigration, the House is set to vote today on two bills that will provide a pathway to citizenship for young dreamers and immigrant workers. Edwin PT has the details from Washington, D.C. Edwin. That's right, Carolina. Democrats in the House are ready to approve this afternoon their first two pieces of legislation on immigration. But under both bills, dreamers and farm workers will be able to apply for a green card, and by following U.S. immigration laws, they could even qualify for citizenship. There are 5.2 million farm workers in the country that could benefit from this bill, and if passed, they would have to agree to work between four and eight additional years in the agricultural sector and pay a $1,000 fine. In the case of Dreamers, to get a green card, they have to obtain a higher education degree, serve in the military, or be employed for at least three years. This morning, during a press conference, House Democrats discussed the importance of passing their bill in the Senate as soon as possible. Take a listen. Dreamers are doctors, nurses, lab technicians, contact tracers, and job creators. Farm workers are getting infected and dying from COVID at a much higher rate than the general public. We must protect and secure our food supply chain. The Congressional Hispanic Caucus has led efforts to fix our broken immigration system, and I am very proud to say that the CHC has endorsed both of these bills that will strengthen our economy, stabilize our food supply chain, and give people peace of mind. TPS beneficiaries and undocumented essential workers are also included in the Democratic proposal, something that has angered Republicans who continue to accuse the White House of wanting to approve immigration laws without taking care of the situation at the border. This happened as a day after Republicans presented the Dignity Act, their version of an immigration bill that doesn't include a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants. We are reporting live in Washington, D.C. Carolina, back to you. Thank you for that report, Edwin Pitti. And concerns are growing over coronavirus variants that are gaining a foothold in the U.S. Experts believe not only that the variants could lead to another surge, but that it may already be underway. Rafael Rodriguez has the latest. It's a yes or no, uh, Dr. Walensky. Not once, not twice, but three times, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky refusing to say if she would blame former President Trump for 500,000 American deaths. Is that an accurate statement that Trump killed 500,000 people? I um, came into this office on January 20th. Did he, did he or did he not kill 500,000 people? I think the effect of this pandemic is multifactorial. And I would really appreciate if you could give a straight answer, yes or no. There are many, many reasons why we as a country were ill-prepared to, to tackle this pandemic that resulted in over 500,000 deaths. For now, the new administration working to keep the focus on a ramp-up of vaccinations nationwide. Over 73 million people have received at least one dose of the vaccine. Nearly 40 million are now fully vaccinated. President Joe Biden focusing on the next hurdle ahead, vaccine hesitancy. I just don't understand this sort of macho thing about I'm not going to get the vaccine. I have a right as an American, my freedom to not do it. Well, why don't you be a patriot? Protect other people. The urgency to get as many people vaccinated as possible, growing as the CDC officially labels five strains of the virus, already detected in the U.S. as variants of concern, meaning they could be more transmissible and perhaps less treatable. 
We don't have enough people vaccinated yet to make a real difference in uh, infections. Those variants fueling worries about another surge with warning signs already appearing in states across the country. Nationally, new cases remain down overall, but 14 states are reporting a weekly increase of more than 10 percent. Delaware, Montana and Alabama all posting gains of more than 30 percent, with Michigan leading the way. Cases there up a whopping 53 percent since just last week. It's going to be a close call. We are vaccinating really well. That's the good news. These variants are spreading pretty quickly across the country. That's the bad news. Spring breakers are flooding beaches and bars in some cities. That's worrying to health officials, combined with St. Patrick's Day parties. The CDC has not yet issued updated travel guidance for people who are fully vaccinated. We're revisiting the travel question. Yet there's already a new record stretch of air travel. According to the TSA, more than 7 million people flying in just the last six days. I do think the next six to eight weeks could be rough. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. And the latest predictions show more than 596,000 Americans will have died of coronavirus by July 1st. That's the latest projection from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington. The team noted cases and deaths are declining overall, especially in big states like California and Texas. But the research shows they are trending upward in some states like Michigan. And a new jobs report is out today. The country is seeing an unexpected rise to 770,000 first-time claims as layoffs remain high. The report came amid hopes that the U.S. jobs market is showing real recovery signs from the pandemic, which saw huge parts of the economy shut down and has been particularly hard for those working in services-related jobs. Meanwhile, in New York City, undocumented workers continue to struggle financially due to the pandemic. Peggy Carranza has more details. On their knees and praying, a group of workers launched a hunger strike in New York, among them Ana Ramirez, who lost her job in a restaurant due to the pandemic and now says she will put her body on the line for economic relief. We have never asked for help. We are forced to request it because we need it, said Anna. She claims to pay taxes while not having access to unemployment benefits or the stimulus check. What we're asking for is basic equity. Undocumented immigrants, recently incarcerated people, and non-traditional workers pay into the system that, makes, uh, that helps everyone else survive. We're just asking for what we've already paid. This is why they're looking for the New York state budget to include more than $3 billion for hundreds of thousands of undocumented workers. They we're asking for a $3.5 billion excluded worker fund, the first ever fund in this country at a state level that gives back to people what they've already paid. According to the organizers, the hunger strike is going to start today with 17 workers, but it's possible that another 50 are going to join them. The proposed budget contemplates more than $2 billion for the workers, but they say it's not enough. The reality of our budget is that there is not enough money, but we continue to fight to increase taxes to those who can pay them, said this assemblywoman. 
Meanwhile, the strikers ate their last tamale and left for the church where they will stay. In New York City, Peggy Carranza, U News. The IRS plans to delay the tax filing deadline until mid-May. According to an official, the service is still processing millions of 2020 tax returns while at the same time sending out a new round of stimulus checks and dealing with new unemployment benefits. About 90 million stimulus payments have been disbursed so far. The first group to get the money includes people who provided direct deposit information to the IRS on the recent tax returns or the IRS website. Around 150,000 paper checks have also been mailed. In all, about $242 billion have been paid as of today. More review news after the short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. The House voted in favor of renewing the Violence Against Women Act, which had expired. This new bill calls for grant funding and additional support aimed at preventing and combating sexual assault, domestic violence, and other related issues. A fact sheet from the House Judiciary Committee also says the bill expands assistance and services assault to victims and survivors. Republican Senator Johnny Ernest of Iowa says the GOP is working on a bill that, quote, will be different from the House bill. Elsewhere on Capitol Hill, a major election and voting rights package was introduced by Senate Democrats. The For the People Act is focused on increasing voting access across the nation, and it could impact voting legislation being passed in many states. Democratic officials say this will help accountability and transparency in Washington, D.C. Republicans disagree, saying it is a federal power grab and that will lessen political speech. Although this legislation passed in the House, it could face a hurdle in the Senate where there might not be enough GOP backing to overwhelm a filibuster. And the U.S. House has approved a resolution that will make it easier for states to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. The ERA needs 38 states to be ratified as an amendment. Supporters say it would guarantee equal legal rights for all Americans, regardless of sex or gender. The resolution now heads to the Senate, where it faces a split chamber. In other political news, 21 states are suing the Biden administration over the Keystone XL pipeline. The lawsuit claims the president did not have the authority to revoke the permit for the pipeline. Biden did that through executive action on his first day in office. It was part of the promise to combat climate change. The oil industry and Republican leaders criticized Biden's move, saying it would cost thousands of jobs. But climate and energy experts said the pipeline would be at odds with the U.S. energy needs. In California, supporters of the recall effort against California Governor Gavin Newsom had until Wednesday to turn in the signatures of people who support that recall. Nearly 1.5 million signatures are needed to trigger 
to trigger a recall election. Recall organizers say they collected more than 2 million. All signatures must be verified by the California Secretary of State's office. Newsom said in an interview Tuesday he's worried about the recall and expects it to qualify for the ballot. And in Washington, police arrested a Texas man outside Vice President Kamala Harris's official residence on Wednesday. Authorities say officers were responding to a suspicious person. The U.S. Secret Service detained 31-year-old Paul Murray of San Antonio. Authorities say a rifle and ammunition were found in his vehicle. He's charged with carrying a dangerous weapon, carrying a rifle or shotgun outside a business and a number of other charges. The Secret Service says no one was at home at the residence when the guy was arrested. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.